You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Last week, we began a new series called Marked, A Life Turned Upside Down. And I started the series by bringing you back to eighth grade biology and talked about how our eyes actually see things upside down. I think I have a little graphic here for it. Remember eighth grade biology? That because of what's going on, it's actually, the image is flipped upside down on the back of our eyes. So if you're seeing things weird, you're like, that's why. But we also talked about how the reason why we see things actually flipped right is because our mind knows the way that things should be. And so miraculously, through the design of God, it inverts them into a coherent, upright image. This is what God does. So this week, I want to encourage you to invite the Lord to transform your mind like it talks about, right? We're to have transformed minds so that we can see things as they were meant to be, not flipped upside down to us. As we look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible, which is the story of Jesus walking on water. How many of you have heard that story before? Isn't it amazing? This is cool stuff. I mean, this is right up there with like superpower heroes like flying, right? Being able to go out and just walk on water. This is amazing. As a kid, I remember seeing the flannel graph, and I remember seeing my teacher telling me all about it. But as we look at this today, and we look at the life of Peter, do you know that this is a story that Peter didn't include in his retelling of the gospel? Isn't that amazing? So to look at it, I want us to look at Matthew's perspective on this today. Jesus walking on waters in Mark 6, but today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. And I invite you to turn there. Matthew chapter 14 as we look at verses 22 through 31. And this is the telling of the story when Jesus walked on water and Peter jumped in and joined him. Amen. Are you ready to join Jesus today? Father, as we walk through this today, we need to hear from you. This is your word. This is your invitation to us. So Lord, transform our minds so that we can see things as they really are. Sometimes the lens of our spiritual eyes, it gets polluted, it gets dirty, and it distorts what you're trying to see us. So Lord, cleanse us today. Renew us today so that we can clearly see what you would speak to us. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So let's look at this together. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 31. It starts off by saying, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, which is really more like 10,000 people, because in that day they only counted the men. They didn't count the women and the the, the children, which is wrong, okay? But so we're really talking about Jesus fed over 10,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. That's amazing. There's many times I've wished I could do that, okay? So he had just finished doing that, and so he sent his disciples across. Meanwhile, verse 24, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. 
Then Peter called out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and he grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I almost hear Yoda, little faith you have. Why did you doubt me? See, all of this is on the unexpected. They weren't expecting any of this. So today, as we look at the story, we're, we're going to look at four unexpected things. How many of you had some unexpected encounters this past week? Okay, these are four things that were unexpected. We're going to look at, first of all, they had an unexpected journey. I'm not talking about the Hobbit. They had an unexpected journey, first of all. They didn't expect it. On this journey, they had an unexpected person. And then we see three unexpected responses from this. And the story concludes with an unexpected miracle. It wasn't the miracle they were expecting. So an unexpected journey with an unexpected person that brought out some unexpected responses that ended with an unexpected miracle. You ready? All right, let's start with the unexpected journey. See, this whole journey was not expected to them. Jesus was sending them over to the other side, and he was sending them to an area that was known to be be a fertile area. It was fertile soil. It had an abundance of walnuts and figs and olives. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus had just finished speaking to the crowd and feeding the crowd and healing the crowd of over 10,000 people. So now they were ready to get away. So Jesus is sending them out. He said, go ahead over to the other side. I'll take care of the crowd And then he withdrew to pray a little bit. But by sending them to the other side, he sent them across in a boat that was typical of that day. Sometimes when we think about getting a boat to cross the sea, sometimes we think of like this huge boat, right? But a typical boat in that day was about 27 feet long, about seven and a half feet wide, and it could hold about 13 people with a single mast for sailing and about four oars. And they actually found one back in 1986. A lot of great things happened in the 80s. But back in 1986, they actually found this boat during a drought. There were low waters, and they found one, and they made a replica of it. One of the surprising things, I think, that's hard for us to think about in this day, that do you know what what they didn't find in the remnants of the boat? They found no life jackets. (laughs) And we may think that was 2,000 years ago, right? But I was often surprised to find it in my own family, a family that I come from that has a lot of fishermen. I come from a long line of fishermen. There's a lot of fish in me, okay? That I was surprised to find out that my uncles, who were fishermen out in the North Atlantic, and if you've ever seen any movies or pictures about it, you know the seas are pretty rough. They never had life jackets. I think that's why we have regulations, right? They never had life jackets. And not only that, many of the fishermen in the part of the world that I come from, very few of them knew how to swim, So imagine you're going out to fish, no life jackets, and you can't swim. I don't know if the disciples could swim or not, but I know that in my family, they were often so busy growing up, they were helping their their dads fish, and that by the time they got to be adults, swimming was something that it was like relaxation, right? So you're out in the North Atlantic, no life jacket, and you couldn't swim. And I have scarier stories than that to tell you about them. But that one blew my mind. But see, as they went on this journey, they were not even expecting a storm. 
See, no sailor would head out to cross when a storm was coming. They weren't expecting this. In the area that they were crossing, many theologians and historians believe that this was an area that was only about four and a half miles to cross. Only four and a half miles. This should have just been a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. But it was, it was nine hours into it, nine hours in, and they were only halfway. Imagine this. These guys were heading out. In their mind, they're probably thinking, man, I can't wait. They're probably planning their meal. These are fishermen. They knew how to get fish. If it was me, I'd be like, man, come on. Can we get over there? I know we just had some bread and fish, but you know what? I'm ready for my second dinner. I can't wait to get around the fire. I can't wait to relax. They have figs. They have walnuts over there. Nine hours in, halfway across, battle weary. They weren't expecting this. And Jesus sent them out into this. So not only were they not expecting it, but they're like, Jesus sent us out into this. Why would Jesus send us out into a storm? Have you ever thought that? Jesus told me to go there, and now I'm going into a storm. Why would Jesus do that? No good parent would do that, right? See, I think sometimes we undervalue what a storm is. Every great story has a storm, doesn't it? whether a physical storm or an emotional storm, some kind of storm, every story has that because every great storm has something to teach us. See, storms bring great opportunities if we're willing to look for them. Storms bring an opportunity to kind of shake some things up. And we had this during the great Seattle Snowmageddon of 2019. How many of you have uh, walked through that, right? Not too long ago. See, when we walked through that, even for us, how many found that your schedule was kind of slowed down a little bit? It may have been stressful for you because you're thinking about, i got to get to work. But our schedules changed as we walked through that process. Kids were out of school, and all the kids in school went. I was more excited. Maybe you guys love school more than me. right? Our perspective changed. Our relationship changed. As I was out walking and skiing around my neighborhood because my hill was actually shut down, my minivan couldn't get up. It could get down. It just couldn't stop at the bottom. Going all the way through... As I was skiing and walking around, I met neighbors that I'd never met before because they were always working or gone somewhere. I met new people. I met neighbors that I knew, but I got to know them better. We got to find out more about each other. There were kids that were coming out because my hill was also on the slide down. The storm created this opportunity. Not only that, storms are a testing ground. It's in a storm that you find out if your roof leaks or not. And you may not like that, but it's a lot better when you find out than later down the road you find out and you find out that there's rot that has happened because of a leaking roof. See, storms reveal what's broken on it. What's broken on this? Storms bring about relationship opportunities, but storms also bring about an appreciation for things that we take for granted. Because when a storm happens and you lose your power, all of a sudden you go, man, I really appreciate this thing called Seattle Power and Light that keeps things going for me. And then something really horrific happens when the power goes out, your Wi-Fi goes out. (laughs) Right? And if you're on electric heat, when the power goes out, what else goes out? Your heat goes out. And and all of a sudden, you realize how blessed we are to have things like electricity and Wi-Fi. You try to Google why your heat's going out, and the Google's not working. Nothing's working, but it slows down. You bring appreciation for it. But you know what happens when Wi-Fi goes out? 
You discover things like board games. Have you heard of board games before? Okay. And, and things like maybe we can talk a little more, but maybe we can hang out a little more, maybe we can do this a little more. Maybe we can go get blankets and just be together. This is what a storm does. But in all of this, the disciples, they weren't expecting it. They weren't expecting any of this going through. And they really weren't expecting what happened next, which was an unexpected person. See, the disciples, they weren't expecting Jesus to walk towards them. If you remember that picture from earlier, and even this, this old flannel graph, this is probably the one my Sunday school teacher used right up here. The waves were real. I think sometimes we imagine Jesus walking in the water, and it's kind of calm and nice. This is 3 o'clock in the morning. They've been battling for nine hours. The waves are real. The storms are real. They're in this boat fighting for their lives. They weren't expecting Jesus here. Matter of fact, they were thinking, why would he be here? Why would Jesus, how could he walk on water? They'd never heard of this before. And they were so surprised that he even thought he was a ghost. Now, why would they think that a ghost was coming towards them on the water? See, back in that day, the Sea of Galilee, no one really knew for sure how deep it was. And its deepest part is about 141 feet, but they didn't really know back in the biblical time how deep it was. So they often thought a common belief during that time was that the Sea of Galilee was bottomless, that it was actually a portal to the underworld, to the realm of the dead, okay? So when they saw this, they were literally thinking that maybe this is a ghost. These were scary times before Google, okay? They thought it was a ghost coming towards them. How could this be? How could this be? And I think it points out the fact to us that sometimes we're so busy fighting the storms in our life that we don't even recognize Jesus when he's walking towards us. Have you ever experienced that? You're in the middle of a storm, you're fighting, Jesus is walking towards you and you don't even see him. It's like the old joke, right, of a man who was in a flood. So he climbed up on his roof and as the waters were rising, Someone came by in a boat and said, hey, do you want to come with me? He said, no, it's okay. God's got it. I'm waiting for God. Okay. The water gets a little bit higher. Then a larger boat comes through and said, hey, we're here to rescue. No, thanks. God's got me. Don't worry about it. Now the water's up to here. A helicopter comes and says, hey, we're here to rescue you. He goes, no, thank you. God's got me. So he goes on and he drowns and he gets to heaven. He says, God, what happened? Why didn't you rescue me? He's like, I sent two boats and a helicopter for you. Why didn't you take it? <laughs> Why didn't you take it? I think this is how we are sometimes. We have these perceptions of what Jesus means or what rescue means that we don't see Jesus coming towards us. And here's Jesus coming through. See, we want to fight in our way. We focus on what we can do. So why don't we look at why Jesus is even there? Do you know why Jesus was there? Jesus was there because we find out that when we look at Mark chapter 6, that Jesus was looking at him. Jesus was looking at him. In Mark 6, it says in verse 37, Late that night the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. And then verse 48 says, And he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. So about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them. He saw them from land, and he walked to them, and he saw they were in trouble. And so he started walking on water to go get to them. See, Jesus is showing them what discipleship is. Do you know what discipleship is? It's simply proximity. It's proximity is saying that, Jesus, you are here with me. You are with me. And not only that, in walking on water, 
in all the storms and all the waves, Jesus is showing that I am Lord over creation. I am Lord over creation. He's showing that storms do not limit his presence or his power. See, Jesus' purpose was not to go out and to stop the storm, because sometimes we need storms in our life. Jesus' purpose was proximity and discipleship to say, I am here, I am with you. His purpose is to be with us. His purpose is to be with us. See, Jesus' unexpected presence, I think one of the surprising things is that sometimes when we recognize that it's Jesus, it brings about an unexpected response. Have you ever responded to Jesus in a way that kind of surprised yourself? Well, Jesus is here, and all of a sudden it's like you don't know what to do. He's always there. But when your awareness comes up, it brings about this unexpected response. And as we look at this, the first response that we see in the recording of this is that response number one, their first response was fear. They were afraid. They were so battle-weary. They were so tired. They were so in it that their first response is fear, which caused them to not even recognize them and say, maybe it's a ghost. See, fear, it focuses on the problem. And what was their problem? We can't get across. We can't get across. Fear is all about the destination. And we're in a fight. Nine hours of rowing. We're the experts here, and we're only halfway. So all of their attention was focused on the problem. We can't get there. What's going to happen? Now, as a kid growing up, I was on the ocean a lot in my little 12-foot aluminum boat with a 9.9 Evinrude motor in the North Atlantic. Okay, I had, my mom gave me a life jacket. She's not listening, so I didn't always wear it. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, okay? <laughs> Going out, there were many times that I would go out, and I, I knew how far the gas would get, but I heard about there's more fish over off this shoal over here. So start going across, and coming back, a wind would come up. And how many know that when the wind comes up, it takes more gas to get where you're going? Especially in a little 12-foot aluminum boat with a 9.9 Evinrude. So I would often, often run out of gas. And then I, was, I had no disciples with me. It was just me rowing home. But I had a lot of fish. <laughs> but in that moment, fear. Because, see, fear comes from looking at yourself. And the reason why fear was so big in me, in my experience like that, was because I was looking to myself and I had nothing. Have you ever had that? Because no matter how much you think you have, no matter how big your resources are, when you are the provider of everything in your life, at some point you're going to come to an end. And when you get used to looking at yourself for everything, that's when fear comes in. And that's when fear comes in you're like, I don't know how to get out of here because all I have is me and I'm running out. And I'm vulnerable in this. And this scares us. And it should scare us. Because when we run out of resources and we're, look, we're used to just looking at ourselves, we start reaching and often we just reach for the first thing that's near us. That's why a lot of times in a lot of third world countries that they're trying to rebuild, we have ministries like Convoy of Hope that they're trying to get there to feed them so strong because what they've discovered is the first person with a bowl of rice wins. The first person that shows up and says, I care and I'm willing to feed you. There's influence in that. And when we reach out to things and there's somebody holding a bowl of rice, but they don't have our good at heart, they want to own us, they want to manipulate us. Have you ever been there? You've reached for something, you thought their heart was good, and you pulled it in, and you pulled in that influence, and you realize that this is destroying me. 
This is why we need to be so active in reaching out, loving those around us, the broken, the hurting, the hungry. Because we're reaching for the good, to connect them with the Lord so that they can find their purpose that God has placed within them. But this is why when we get in this, these positions, we're vulnerable and we begin reaching. That was response number one. But I'm so thankful in this story that we saw the next response. You know what the next response was? Faith. You've got my listening guide, don't you? Okay? Faith. It was fear, but then it was faith because when Peter, when Peter looked out, he wanted to join Jesus because Peter had childlike faith. Have you ever seen those kids? They see their mom or their dad or their aunt or their, uh, whoever's watching them, and they see them doing something really cool, and they're like, I want to do that. That was me as a kid. I jumped into all kinds of things, okay? I look at him, and Peter's looking at Jesus. He's going, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what you're doing because faith, it focuses on the provider, the presence of Jesus. See, faith is all about the journey. It's not just about the destination. It's about what's happening along the way. It's faith to faith to faith all along the way that whatever happens, Jesus is with me, and if it's a storm walking on water, man, I'm in. This is going to be fun. See, faith, it secures the relationship. And it's really curious that Matthew is the one talking about this, not Peter in the Gospel of Mark. Matthew is the only one talking about it. Because, see, I think some people would view this as this, this is a mistake. That Peter and you having faith for this, this is a mistake. What would you do if you were in a boat in a storm and you saw somebody walking towards you? Would you jump in to join them? Or would you be like, throw them a line? If I got a life jacket, throw them a life jacket. Let's get them in the boat. Let's rescue them. Some would have said, Peter, you should have helped Jesus. But instead, selfish Peter, looking to himself, just wanted to get out and jump on the water himself. And now we've got two problems. But I want to tell you, did Peter fail? No, he didn't fail. This is the response of a childlike faith. This is Jesus, wherever you are, I want to be there. You're walking on water, I'm your disciple, I want to be with you. I want to jump. He didn't allow everything else to cloud his mind. See, we need to use logic, but the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Where God is calling you, you know that he's provided for you. Even in the waves, even in the storm, whatever is going on, God will provide. Because he's saying, I want to be with you. Wherever you are, God, that's where I want to be. Wherever you call me, that's where I want to be. Because, see, this response of faith, it leads us to the ultimate, which is the response of worship. That response of worship. See, Peter, he was really worshiping in this moment because he said, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Amazing. Imagine a worship service where we're walking on water with Jesus. I want to be with you, Lord. Where are you? See, he recognized Jesus. He jumped out. How many people jumped out of the boat to join Jesus? One. I'd be like, Peter, don't you know that... Jesus called you a rock? What do rocks do? But he's saying, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. But Peter also, he recognized something important. Peter recognized that he needed permission. What did Peter do before he got out of the boat? He said, Jesus, I want to be with you. Jesus, I want to join you. I want to be there. Because, see, this is an important aspect of worship. We can only worship God because he invites us. 
God is holy. God is awesome. God is amazing. He's the creator of the universe. Who am I that you would be mindful of me, the psalmist wrote. It's because he invites us. So Peter says, I see you, I recognize you. Can I join you? And you know what Jesus says when we ask him, can I join you? He's like, yes, that's why I'm here. I saw you, I saw the waves, I saw you're in trouble, so I just chose to walk on out in these waves and get you and to help you and to be with you. His response is always, yes, be with me. Be with me. And as a result, we find out that as Peter worshiped the Lord in this way, do you know what it did? It invited the other disciples to worship him. See, the other disciples, after watching him and seeing what happened, their response was one of worship. When we worship the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we jump in, those around us, even though they may not understand it, they are drawn in. They want to worship. They want to worship. They want to give their life to God because of what we do. One of the biggest things in my life for worship is I saw my dad worship. And he wasn't even singing my favorite songs. But I saw him worship. I saw him open his Bible in the house. And I saw him read. When I would fake sick on a Sunday night to stay home from church, my dad would stay home with me because he's no dummy. And he would be there, and, he would, and I'd, I'd watch out because we only had one TV, click, 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 click. You had to get up and go to it. And I wanted to watch the wonderful world of Disney. But dad said, if, 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 if you're sick, we're going to pray together. <laughs> like, great. So, but I saw my dad open the Bible, and he put his glasses on, and he would read and put it down, and I'd see him just weep and he's not an emotional guy he has deep emotions but he's not someone who just cries over menus or anything but i saw him worship his worship made me want to worship i saw something when we worship when we give everything to god in that way it causes our children to want to worship. It causes those around us to want to worship. The people that we work with, the people that we walk by, even when we're in the middle of a storm. When you're in the middle of a storm and you choose to say, God, you are my God, great are you, Lord. It compels others to worship. Matthew 14 says, the two of them, that's Jesus and Peter, they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. And the disciples in the boat, having watched the whole thing, They worship Jesus saying, this is it. You are God's son for sure. See, we need this today. We need this today. This needs to be our response. Because see, our response, it brings us to the unexpected miracle. The miracle that they wanted was no storm. Jesus, if you love me, you will take away every storm in my life. Have you ever said that before? Or thought that before? If you love me, no storm. Just beauty. Just flat surface for me. Thank you very much. But see, from our perspective, this brings us to a perspective of if Jesus will only do what we ask, if Jesus will respond the way that we say it and do what we say, We misconstrue this as evidence of his involvement and his care, don't we? 
Jesus, if you do what I ask, if you do what I say, then that means you're there. See, my reality is the storm. And if you have the power to stop it, Jesus, then you should. You have all power. Do it. But see, Jesus seemed to have a different perspective on storms. Jesus even got some of his best naps during a storm. The disciples are going, what's going on? And Jesus is just, he's resting. He's sleeping. See, we get into trouble when we start thinking, he's not stopping the storm. That means he doesn't love me. If Jesus is not stopping the storm, that means he doesn't care. You have all power. I saw you do it for the disciples nine hours in. So why aren't you doing it for me? And as we walk down that path, it eventually gets to the point, well, then Jesus, maybe you're not even real. Or you just don't care. God's real, yes, but he doesn't care about us. Have you ever been there? I think we've all struggled with that. Jesus, what's happening? What is happening in that? But we need to recognize that this comes from a performance perspective. This is a performance commodity. And this is something that we even fall victim to pulling this over into other areas of a relationship where if you do what I say, when I say, you perform the way I want, then we're friends. But the minute you don't perform the way I want to perform, then our friendship is over. Is that friendship? Have you ever had relationships like that? (laughs) Right. Those are called junior high dating relationships, okay? There's not a maturity there yet. You do what I want, when I want. That's not how we operate. That's not how it walks, and that's not who we are. Who's God? He's God. We are not. It's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but then Jesus walked on the water and the storms of my life, and he found me, and he redeemed me, and he's transforming me. See, here's the problem with miracles. As much as we want miracles, and miracles are a great thing, I've been the recipient of miracles in my life. When I was a little boy, I was going blind. Dad brought me forward, had the church and the elders pray for me, and God healed my sight. Okay? There have been many things along the way. I believe in healing, but we need to be careful because as we look at Scripture and even when we look at our life, we discover that miracles don't always necessarily settle everything. Have you heard of the Pharaoh? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, right? He didn't get it. God was trying to warn him, did miracle after miracle after miracle. And he ignored him. Even the Pharisees of that day, the religious leaders of that day, many of them, the more that Jesus did miracles, the more ticked off they got. Their response was, this is not the Jesus that we ordered. We didn't order this Jesus. We didn't, this is not the, what we expected. See, miracles have been used by some people to test Jesus, hoping that he would fail. Have you ever had a teacher like that? They're just out for you. They're just testing you, going, you're going to fail this time. This is sometimes how we use miracles. If you do it, you're real. If you didn't, then you don't, and I know you're not real anyway. So what does it matter? See, we all want the gifts. Everyone lined up for the gifts, but we struggle with the purpose of the gift. See, the Lord gives us gifts as a means of showing his love to connect. How many of you love giving a gift to somebody that you love? And the connection that comes through it, right? You think about it. What do they need? What do they really like? What, 
what's a way that I can show my love to him right now? That's what a gift is. Jesus gives us the greatest gift that we need for the purpose of connecting and for us discovering it. But just like the the feeding of the 5,000, they just wanted the gift, not the giver. Jesus identified this problem in John 6, 26 when he said they were just looking to fill their stomach. Just looking to fill their stomach. See, when we're dealing with the heart of a consumer, the more you give, the more they want, the more entitled they want. When it's just the miracle, the miracle, the miracle. Thank you very much. And they'll always try to get the miracle for free if possible. If it's free, I'm there. And if I can't get it for free, then what's the cheapest price I can get it at? What's the cheapest price I can get it at? This is the heart of a consumer. Because see, a consumer heart will always look to consume. This is why Jesus, he's pointing them towards the main problem. And the main problem that they have is a hardened heart. It's a hardened heart. And a hardened heart will always blind us. See, Jesus, he was continually warning against this hardened heart. He was saying over and over again, you don't lack any evidence. There is so much evidence for the existence of God. There is so much evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ, his son, who came and died and rose again for us. There's evidence over and over and over and above. And even the disciples, they struggled to see who Jesus was. In the middle of all this, because previous to this, Jesus, he had raised a dead girl back to life. And then he feeds over 10,000 people, and now he's walking on the water. He's like, what else do I have to do? What more evidence do you need? And in Mark 6, it says they were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. They couldn't take it in. It was too hard. You know, one of my favorite authors is Dr. Alicia Britscioli. He's going to be speaking at the ladies' conference coming up. Ladies' conference. I can't go. Okay. But here's what Alicia says. She says, the problem, of course, is not with the miracles themselves, but rather with our perception of the miracles. We tend to view a miracle as a divine deposits on more miracles. We like our miracles to be perpetual, thank you. Once raised, we want Lazarus to live forever, but he cannot. So we are bewildered when the recipient of the miracle dies. It seems to me that miracles are less of a promise for tomorrow and more of a manifestation of God's love and power today. See, Lazarus got raised from the dead, manifestation of God's power, but then did Lazarus go on and die? Yes. Now he's living forever in in heaven. But this is our perception. Jesus, you just healed me. Why am I sick again? Jesus, you just provided for me. Why am I struggling with my bills again? Jesus, I just lost weight. Why am I gaining it again? That's me. You know, what's going on? What's going on? See, we need to have this right heart because Jesus, giving the gift, knowing what we need, he gives us the miracle that we need. And you know what miracle we need? His presence. Jesus is the miracle that we need. Jesus is the miracle. It's his presence. What did he say to his disciples? He said, take courage. I am with you. See, Jesus, he's the miracle Who is our destination? Jesus. What's the answer to every question? Jesus. 
He is our destination in everything that we do. And he's saying, take courage. I am here. See, walking on water, it didn't take away the storm. Jesus walked through the storm out to his disciples that he saw in the boat, and then he invited Peter to join him. And what did, you, what did Peter join him in? The storm. That may have been part of a surprise when he looked around and he was like, oh, I thought when I came out, maybe this would all go away. And he said, no, be with me. We can walk on the storm. I want to show you how to walk through storms. I want to show you that you are more than an overcomer through me. His presence is the miracle. If you could think of anybody in the world, any mover and shaker, any billionaire, anybody that has massive influence, and go, maybe if I could just get one hour with them. One hour with them. Do we have that response to Jesus? Jesus is saying, fear not, I am with you always. I am the bread of life. It's not about the fish and the bread. It's not about walking on the water. It's about me. See, Jesus is not out to just rescue us. Jesus is out to transform us. He's not out to pick you up and go, okay, now you're safe. Get in the boat and off we go. He is out to transform us. That presence in our life, that in death and in life, I'm confident and I'm covered by the power of your blood. Your love never fails. You are always with me. See, when Jesus, he says in this to Peter, he says, Peter, you man of weak faith. He wasn't chastising Peter. He was looking to Peter and saying, Peter, you can do it. You have some faith. It's a little weak right now, but we can build it. But Peter was the only one who got out of the boat. Who in that boat had faith? Peter. Everyone else stayed in there. And he looked at that Peter and saying, this is the building stone. You were willing to get out. You had a few steps there for a while. You have weak faith, but when you are weak, I am strong. I'm here to pour into you today. And I think the Lord is looking at us, and he's saying, are you willing to see me in your storm? Are you willing to get out and to walk on the waves? Are you willing to walk this out no matter what? Is my presence enough for you? See, I've hit so many things in my life that I've walked through. And I've asked God, take away the storms, and sometimes he does. Sometimes it's peaceful, and it's just like the way I imagined it in my mind. But so many times, he's called me to walk on the water, and he's got me by the hand. He said, I'm going to show you how to walk over this. I'm going to show you how to be a testimony for me in this. This is where Jesus is calling us. This is why it's so powerful what Peter did. He didn't fail. He stepped out. And did Peter stop following Jesus just because he, he fell down in the waves? No. He stepped up. He kept going. He got on the boat. He kept going. Now, Jesus eventually, Jesus got them to the destination. And when you read, you find out they got in the boat, and then immediately they were transported to the other side. Another miracle. But in all that, Jesus is saying, I am the destination. I am the bread of life. Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to come after me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are you willing to allow the lens of your spiritual eyes to be cleaned and renewed by my Holy Spirit to see me, to have that gift of discernment, to see what's going on, so that no matter what, I'm with you? I think the Lord is speaking to you today and said, I, 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 I want to see your faith grow today. I want to see you grow in the Lord today. You're in the middle of a storm. I see you, and I'm walking towards you. 
you're in the middle of a storm, and Jesus would say to you today, I see you, and I'm walking towards you. Are you willing to get out of the boat? It's still stormy. Are you willing to get out of the boat? Do you want to feel like walking on water? How many of you are ready to walk on the water with the Lord today in the storms? Would you stand together? Let's just stand together. And if that's your response today, just speak that to the Lord. Lord, I'm ready to walk on the water with you. Lord, I sense that you're calling us to get out of the boat. We've been battling. We've been battling for hours, for days, for months, for years. For some of us, a lifetime. But you see us. And Lord, I sense there's some here today that they need to hear that, that you see them. You see them, and you're walking towards them. Lord, help us to let go of our provision. Help us to let go of our ways. Our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. They're higher. Help us to lift our eyes a little bit higher to you as we respond. As we respond, do your work in us. Amen. As we respond today, I want to invite our pastors to line up across the front here. I want to invite our prayer team to line up. And you can go ahead and come now. And as the worship team sings this song, if you're going through a storm and you need your faith strengthened today, or maybe you've never recognized the voice of a Savior saying, follow me, step out of your boat. I want to invite you to step out, go and pray with one of these people. You may say, well, I can just do that. Here I am. Yeah, you can. But there's something powerful in stepping out of the boat. When Peter stepped out of the boat, he felt it. He felt the water didn't give way. When we step out, when we're willing to deny ourselves and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you, there's something powerful that happens. So I'd like to invite you to step out. Amen. Could I have some directors and board members join me up here and just line across the front? Step out of the boat today. Step out of the boat. Your family needs to see you step out of the boat. Your community needs to see you step out of the boat today. Let everything go and allow God to come in and to change you. Let's respond to that word today. Let's respond to that word. Step out of the boat.